Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. We are in the middle of a summer series on the attributes of God. It's called Unique because there is no one like our God. He alone is marvelous and majestic. There is no one like Him. And we've We're coming into week five today. We'll finish through the month of July with this series, but uh, I want to remind you of some things. The point of this series is to cause us to stand back and to maybe freshly remember that God is bigger than I remembered He is, so God can do more than I've been thinking He can do, that God is more faithful than I've been remembering that He is. We want our view of God to swell, so as we look at His power and His justice and His goodness and His faithfulness, we want to walk around every day of our lives with a massive view of how God is big. Amen? We want that because when we have a big view of God, we have a right view of self, And we're not self-reliant people. We are people who need God and we express faith to God and we pray to God more often because we see him as unlimited and we see ourselves as limited. And when we walk around with a big view of God, also the problems that we face, the obstacles that we come across, the giants who come in front of us, students, we talked about that Wednesday night, uh, those things that come into our lives, they look much smaller when you have a big view of God. So the series has lots of opportunity to make an impact on our souls, to increase our understanding of God biblically, but really to change how we go through every single day of the week in understanding that God is big, He's on His throne, He's in control, and He's capable, and He's good, and He's faithful, and all those things. This morning, we are tackling uh, in this series a, a big big old chunk called the Trinity. (laughs) We are going to look at the fact that God is three persons in one. We are monotheistic. I'm going to give you lots of things today to chew on and to to maybe write down some notes uh, along the way because this is some stuff we want to wrestle with and understand in our minds. We're loving God with our mind this summer. We are monotheistic, meaning that as Christians, we believe there is one true God, one. We, we are not a religion of many gods. We are not a religion of some idols for the harvest and some idol for fertility and some idol for good business fortune. We don't have multiple gods. We have one God who has revealed himself in the Bible. And the good news is our massive, limitless, ineffable, amazing, edgeless God is knowable through Jesus. He has revealed himself through the scriptures, so God has told us what he is like. God has described himself and revealed himself, and he has also revealed himself through Jesus. And he has made a way for us to have a relationship with him through Christ. The Trinity is this bedrock piece that we serve one God, and as part of the one God, the essence of the one God includes three persons, but not three gods. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. They are all of the same essence. They are all God, and we're going to dive into all of these things today. I don't know if you know this, but the word Trinity is not a biblical term. 
It's one of the words that the church fathers came up with, started to be used in church history around 200, 220 um, AD. And as people were getting together in these different councils of Nicaea and different places to try to ask these big questions, you know, is, is Jesus just a man or is Jesus God? And, and which books of the Bible are, are truly authorized and part to, of the canon and, and inspired scripture? And they were asking all these questions about, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit, how do they relate to each other? Do we have three gods? Do we have one God? And they weren't asking these questions because they were unsure. They were asking these questions so we can write it down and help everybody have something to hold on to, to understand about who God is. So the word Trinity started to be used in those days as an understanding of three in one. Now I want to tell you the end here at the beginning. Here's the end. We are not going to come to the end of this teaching on the Trinity this morning and have everything fit into nice, cozy, little, comfortable boxes for us all so that we'll all walk out of here going, oh, I fully get how the Trinity works, why the Trinity works. I see every aspect of the Trinity. So just know that. That's where we're headed this morning. We're all going to land. We're going to come up against the end of this with a big old word called mystery. And mystery is the word that theologians add in to concepts of God that are just beyond our, our ability to understand. But along the way, we're going to look at lots of scripture. Along the way, we're going to see all that God can give us and has given us about who he is, three in one, because it's really important. We really need to believe that the Father is God. Amen? We really need to believe that Jesus is God. It's important to our salvation, to the work that was done on the cross. We really need to believe that the Holy Spirit is God. We need the Trinity. So let's dive in this morning and begin to explore this together. I want to walk through three kind of general principles today, and then we'll try to make it practical toward the end as best we can. Although, I've told you where we're headed. We are not headed towards some nice, cozy, easy understanding. So just get ready. Leave safe some space down there for the word mystery at the bottom of your notes. Number one, each person of the Trinity is distinct but not independent. Each person of the Trinity is distinct but not independent. Listen to these thoughts. The Father is not the Son. Think on that for a second. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. They are distinct. They have individual persons within the unified Godhead. The word Trinity actually means a tri-unity. It means three in one distinct but not independent. Let's look at some scripture passages this morning that help us to understand that, that, that we serve and worship a God who is three in one. In Genesis 1, 26, we see this plurality going on in the language. God said at the beginning of creation, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so in that first sentence, you have us and our and our. This is indicating for us 
The Trinity has always been. Jesus did not come into existence in a manger in Bethlehem. The Son of God is God and has always been God before creation. The Son of God was actually one of the agents and forming works in creation that all things, Colossians tells us, were made by him, through him, and for him. So the Son of God has been present before God said, let there be light, and separated the heavens and the earth, before God said, let there be man. So when you see in Genesis 1.26, let us and our image, it is an indicator here at the very, very beginning that God is three in one. Another passage of scripture we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. This is the baptism of Jesus. An occasion where as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. Who was speaking at this point? The Father. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So in this moment, right there in the water, you have the Trinity, according to Scripture, present all at the same time. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Next we have one more verse in John 15. 26. A couple more verses in this one. John 15, 26. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Um, he is about to be betrayed and, and go through trial and crucifixion, death and resurrection. And he's talking to his disciples and he's giving them encouragement. He's telling them some things that are going to happen along the way. He's just told them that he must go away, that he's going to ascend to heaven. But he begins to tell them, it's to your advantage that I go away. And he says, when the advocate comes, John 15, 26, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Here we have more biblical evidence, more biblical listing of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all engaged here in this experience. So what's happening is, is that Jesus says, I'm going to ascend to the Father. And when I ascend to the Father, I will send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, from the Father to you. So God is three in one. One more passage. First Peter 1 verse 2. You have been chosen. These are some of Peter's introductory remarks. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ Sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. You have divine things taking place. You have God stuff happening here. You have the foreknowledge of God. 
because God is omniscient. We haven't studied that yet this summer. We're going to get there that God is all-knowing at all times. And God has the foreknowledge through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who works out salvation in our lives and grows and matures us in uh, our Christ-likeness and growing us up as disciples. And all of us have a relationship with God only because we have followed Jesus as his disciple. Only because of the finished work on the cross, the shed blood of Christ. So here again, the Trinity is at work. It's not just God the Father. It's not just God the Son. It's not just the Holy Spirit. And in this, we see the complexity of our God. Each person of the Trinity is distinct. There is a distinct Father, distinct Spirit, distinct Son, but they are not independent. Number two, each person of the Trinity is fully God. Each person of the Trinity is fully God. Just to say it clearly. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Their essence is the same. The Son is not something different than the Father. The Spirit is not something different than the Son or the Father. They are all God. Fully God. Holy Spirit's not the low man on the totem pole. He's not the lowest rank. He's not just the guy who goes and gets it done. The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Son is fully God. And the Father is fully God. Throughout church history, and, and if you've never read church history, if you, you know, it, it's thick. <laughs> There's a lot that's gone on in church history that's been amazing and a lot that's just been bizarre. And there have been a lot of places in church history that have gone off track. If you wonder how we have so many denominations in what we call Christianity, a lot of it is because there's been division about what we believe about God. And some of the major divisions came about Jesus. Some people had the belief that Jesus was just a man, but at his baptism, he was kind of stamped as God's chosen Messiah. That's not biblically true, but there's people who believe that. They believe that he's not God, but just a very gifted teacher, a gifted man. That the Father is God, there is a God, but they believe that the Son is not fully God. It absolutely matters that you and I understand that as we see in the scripture, the Father is doing divine work. He is God, fully God. And the Son is doing divine work. He is God, fully God. And the Spirit is doing divine work. He is God, fully God. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. It's a person of God. Someday we'll do a good long series on the Holy Spirit. But right now, we want to embrace this idea that each person of the Trinity is fully God. Let's look at a couple of scripture passages in this realm. First of all, in Matthew 28, 19, the great commission you're familiar with, where Jesus has given the command to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, and to teach them everything. But, but one of the key phrases there is to baptize them, to baptize them in the name of God, in the name of the Father in the name of the Son, 
and in the name of the Holy Spirit. These are not just casual names added in. This is not, you know, God the real God and then Jesus in the Spirit. This is the Trinity expressed as fully God. Baptism, discipleship comes under the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the professors I had in seminary used to say it this way, we worship the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Spirit. That you and I are always engaged in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the property of the Pentecostal or the charismatic denominations. The Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial to who you are as a Christian. You are not a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit being in your life. Because when you believe, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the day of Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. The Son is absolutely essential. And we want to be men and women who believe that each person of the Trinity is fully God. Passage in 2 Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the writer communicating to the people the Trinity and how we interact with the Trinity. There are benefits and blessings going on here. We receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for that? We receive the love of God the Father. Aren't we grateful for that? And we have a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That means we have a relationship with God through the Spirit. Do you understand that when you said yes to Jesus, when you followed Jesus, when you believed in Jesus and turned and repented of your sins, that the Spirit of God came to dwell in your life? The Spirit of God is in your heart right now. This is our relationship to God through the Holy Spirit. Beautiful passages here about the divinity of the Father, the divinity of the Son, and the divinity of the Spirit. We could spend hours and days, weeks, talking about the Trinity. There are volumes written about the Trinity. There are massive chapters about the Trinity. We're trying to get our hearts and minds around some introductory concepts of the Trinity. We started out with that first one of understanding that each person of the Trinity is distinct but not independent. Father's not the Son, Father's not the Spirit, and so on. The second one here, that each person of the Trinity is fully God. Now let me give you one more. Here's the third one. There is only one God. There is only one God. It's important. It really matters that we follow the biblical lead here. Let me walk you through a couple of passages, two of them in the Old Testament and one of them in the New the first one's in um, 1 Kings chapter 8, all the way down in verse 60, if you want to write that reference down. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. 
the Lord, when you see that in capital letters in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, is a reference to God's eternal name, Yahweh. Uh, this is the, the unspeakable name in some ways to the Jewish culture. This is God's memorial name. This is God's I am name. And, and he's saying this God, the God that we worship, the God that we follow, the God of the Bible is the God and there is no other. And honestly, that becomes divisive and an issue of conflict when you talk about other religions. Just to be honest. It's hard to have conversations sometimes because someone would say, well, do you believe our religion, that our God is not the God? In the most gentle, kind, Christ-like, pastoral way, you need to have a conversation to say, all I can do is stand on what the Bible tells me is true, and these are my beliefs. I believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God. He's the one true God. How many times do we see in the scriptures of different groups and different nations who would create idols to suit their needs and idols because they were frustrated that they didn't like how God revealed himself and idols because they, they thought it would, it would, it would kind of justify their own sinfulness and all of those things. The world has been creating its own idea of God for century after century after century, but we are people of the Bible, amen? As best we can. We are flawed, we don't always do it right, and we don't always understand. Don't forget, I'm leading us to an end where we don't fully understand. But we are people who say, all I can stand on is the word of God. We believe it is his book, we believe he has revealed himself, we believe it is authoritative, it is inspired, it is God-breathed. And the Bible says there is one God who made all things. There is one. He's not just the best God. He, he's not just a superior God to all the other gods. There is one true God, and the other ones are false. And we don't say that with, with any sense of superiority to other religions or any sense of cruelty to those things. As a matter of fact, we say that with compassion and love because we don't want them to give their lives to stone and wood. We don't want them to give their lives to carved images. We don't want them to give their lives to things that aren't true. And with humi humility, not arrogance, we say there is only one true God. And this is a key part of the Trinity. We don't have three gods, we have one. In a few minutes, I'm going to lead us through some of the analogies that are often used to discuss the Trinity and how those kind of hold up. But um, here at this point about one God, I want you to think about this. Uh, anybody in the room like math? Anybody? And we will pray for you. We will just pray for you right now that you be relieved of that sickness. Um, uh, I like words. Anybody like words? Anybody like history? Okay, you're in the right place. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what that means. Praise God for people who like numbers, because <laughs> people who like words need people who like numbers. That's just true. Uh, my wife loves numbers. She's an amazing math person. And um, I want you to think about math this morning in the Trinity. You got God the, help me out, God the Father, God the, and God the Holy Spirit. 
So one plus one plus one equals three. But we don't have three gods. So what we should think about is this idea. We're trying to wrap our hearts and minds around what it is that we have three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God. So mathematically, it's probably expressed better as one times one times one. This isn't original with me. This has been brought up and floated around through church history for a long time. But this gets us closer to the idea that we don't have three gods. We don't have a hierarchy of gods. We have one true God, three persons revealed to us. One times one times one equals one. So let's look together at some of these analogies that people try to come up with throughout history about what the Trinity is like. Because I don't know about you, but I'm grasping for some human experience to compare it to so that somebody can say, oh, it's like that. And then we would go, oh, I get it now. I've told you, we're not going to get it. But throughout history, we've tried to come up with some analogies. One of them is, is that God is one, but sometimes he dresses as the Father Sometimes he dresses as the Son, and sometimes he dresses as the Holy Spirit. Or sometimes he calls himself the Father, he calls himself the Son, he calls himself the Holy Spirit. Meaning, so I, I, I've got this water bottle here right now, and, and right on the front of this is a, a label. This is purified drinking uh, water, and on the back, it's got the nutritional information, which is very limited because it's, it's water. And on the back side of there, here's a, here's a barcode that you can scan it. And so the idea of those three different things is that sometimes if you're looking at the water this way, the water tells you it's purified drinking water. And if you're looking at it over here, you're thinking, oh, that's, that's barcode. And so sometimes we look at God and we see sometimes the Father, sometimes the Son, sometimes the Spirit as God wants to reveal himself. But this is not a true analogy of who God is. Because God is fully God, the Spirit is fully God, the Son is fully God, all the time. So God does not change into different persons to suit his needs. God the Father is fully, constant, eternally God. God the Son is fully, constant, eternally God. God the Spirit is fully, constant, eternally God. Another analogy that people have tried to use is water. Water can exist in three forms, solid, liquid, and what? Gas. So you would have ice, liquid water, and steam. And a lot of people have tried to use that. Well, it's all water, but sometimes it's solid, sometimes it's liquid, and sometimes it's gas. But that is not a good analogy of the Trinity because the water in quantity cannot ever be all three at the same time. They cannot simultaneously be solid, liquid, and gas at the same time. So God doesn't change. God isn't some days the Father, and sometimes the Son, and sometimes the Spirit. God is eternally constant, fully God in all three persons. So the water doesn't work. One more analogy is an egg. Think about three parts of an egg. There's the shell, there's the white, and there's the what? The yolk. 
the shell, the white, and the yolk. But it's all one egg. And so people have thought, well, maybe we could relate to God in that way, that it's all one God, but there are three parts. But let me ask you this question. Is the shell the yolk? No. <laughs> it's not. So God doesn't have layers. And God doesn't have an end to where his fatherhood stops and his sonship begins. You cannot dissect him that way. The son is fully God. The spirit is fully God. The father is fully God. All of these analogies we try to come up with are inadequate. It's good to think. It's good to rack your brain. By the way, if you come up with a great analogy for this that works, please let us know because all the world will want to know. and We will help you get published. It'll be amazing. You'll go on talk shows. You'll make some videos. You'll be invited to speak at conferences. It'll be incredible. But it could happen. It could, somebody could finally figure out how to do this, but probably not. I actually think it's part of the plan of God to let us stand in an all-filled, A-W-E, all-filled mystery. I'm just saying our God does not fit in a neat little convenient box. He's not just the smartest of us or the most kind of us or the strongest of us. He is other. And human language is incapable of defining him. There is no analogy that is going to fully make a translation of what the Trinity is all about. Because the Bible has told us that there are three. And the Bible has told us that there is one. And the Bible has told us that the Father is God and the Son is God and the Spirit is divine. The, the, the Bible has told us all of these things. So that's going to lead us to some concluding thoughts here of why all this matters and what do we do with all this. A couple of things are going to come up on the screen for you. Let me talk about each one for just a moment. The doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery beyond full understanding, but it is not contrary to Scripture. That's what I was just referring to. The Bible tells us there are three. The Bible tells us there is one. And the Bible tells us the Father is divine, the Son is divine, and the Spirit is divine. But how those three come together as one, how they operate together as one, how they relate to each other as one, how all of those things within the Godhead works and functions, it is beyond our understanding. But it's not contrary to Scripture. And if you start with Scripture, that's where you bump up against the wall of like, I'm struggling here to take everything I see in Scripture and put it together in an analogy that works. That's where we find mystery. And the word mystery is not a cop-out. The word mystery is, please, take a shot at it. Please, help us out. Please, do your best. Please, come on. We're open to other stories and other analogies. Come on, talk about it. People have been searching and thinking for centuries on this, but I really believe mystery is one of the tools of God that keeps us in perspective, that he is big and that we are small and that we absolutely need him in the big stuff of life and in the small stuff of life. 
We started this series with a reminder of what it is to walk into one of those great cathedrals in Europe and to look up at those ceilings and all the ornate stuff and vaulted roofs that are just hundreds of feet in the air and you feel small and it causes you to be reverent. It changes how you talk. You may even start to whisper because you recognize you're somewhere special that is connected to the bigness of God. And here we stand in a gymnasium in June in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We're a long way from an ornate cathedral this morning. But here's what's true. Our God is beyond definition. Our God is more good than we could comprehend. Our God is more powerful than we could ever understand or even write down as a mathematical formula. Our God cannot be described as three in one in an analogy. He's huge. And that ought to cause us to stand back in mystery and say, whoa, wow. And as if you were standing at the Grand Canyon, which I haven't had the privilege to do yet, if you were standing there and you're just like, how, how, this, the scale of this, the scope of this is so big. As you look at the images from the Hubble telescope and other telescopes into the, to the deep parts of space and all the things and they start talking about terms and stuff that you, you're not even sure what they mean and, 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 and you begin to like, how, I don't understand that. And as you begin to think about God, that he has always been, that nobody made God, he has always been, that he did not have a birth date, that God has always been, he is not created. He is the creator. When you stand back from all those things and you just go, how, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't get it, let that lead you to reverence and awe and say, you are so amazing. You're beyond all of our dictionaries. You're beyond every thesaurus. You're beyond every creative mind that has ever lived and the ability to try to put words together poetically to describe adequately who you are as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm moved to just be impressed. I am moved to be in awe. I am moved to be reverent and to say, who is like you, most high God? So mystery doesn't frustrate me. Mystery humbles me. And my invitation to you this morning, my friends, is that you would humbly look at the mystery of the Trinity and not be frustrated, but let it draw you into worship. Because each person of the Trinity, this is our last thought here, each person of the Trinity is to be worshiped. Let me see if you were following along with me this morning. Is the Father fully God? Is the Son fully God? Is the Holy Spirit fully God? Then let's worship the Father. Let's celebrate and worship the Son. And let's worship and celebrate the Holy Spirit. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know. I don't know, can I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do things in our lives and in our hearts? Yes, he is God, amen? 
Can, can I pray to Jesus and not pray to the Father? Yes, He is God. Now, later this fall, we're going to start a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to work our way to the Lord's Prayer, and He's going to teach His disciples how to pray. And so I would say our default prayers need to fall in line with that model prayer of Jesus, where He starts out the prayer, our what? Father. And that doesn't make it right. It also doesn't make it wrong to say prayers to Jesus, to worship Jesus and worship the Spirit. Because Jesus is fully God and the Spirit is fully God. But the default, since we're just here for a minute, the default, that's a good thing to pray to the Father. But it's also okay to worship the Son and the Spirit. Because you're not worshiping two other gods. Because help me out, our God is one. He's one. So as you marvel this morning and sit back this morning and think about all of this, can you join me in just being really grateful <laughs> that Jesus did what he said he was going to do when he rose from the dead? He ascended to the, to the Father who gave us Jesus because he loves us. He ascended to the Father and because Jesus loves us, he sent who? The Spirit from the Father. At the heart of all this is the love of our three-in-one God. God so loved the world that he gave his son. His son came and fulfilled the mission, died and rose again to pay for the guilt of your sins and my sins, to pay for sin once for all so that on the cross God might be seen as just and the justifier. Sin was paid for and God made a way to redeem and reconcile his people to himself. And then Jesus ascended to the Father and in wonderful kindness gave us the Spirit to be God in us. Which is why you can worship full on in your car and at your house and at the beach and on your back porch and at the Grand Canyon because God does not live in a building, amen? The Spirit of God is at work in all the earth and the Spirit of God is in your heart. The Father sent the Son, who in love and kindness has sent the Spirit. Aren't you grateful that God so loved, that Jesus so loved, and that the Spirit of God is with you 24-7? This is what we believe. Not because it makes sense to us, but this is what the Bible teaches as best we can understand it. Let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and would you thank God the Father that you have access to him through Christ? Would you tell him that he's a good father? Tell him that you love him as a faithful daddy? That he has been good Thank him that his goodness 
chases you? And would you thank God the Father for sending the Son to die in your place? And would you thank Jesus for being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? Would you thank Jesus for taking upon himself what you and I deserved? Would you thank Jesus for sending the Holy Spirit, our advocate, our helper, our counselor? Oh my goodness, we need help every single day. We need guidance. We need direction. We need understanding. We need discipline. We need all of the things that the Holy Spirit brings. And would you thank the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, for being with you always. For the spiritual gifts he has put into your life. And would you thank the Holy Spirit for the fruit of the Spirit that are being produced in your life. Because left to yourself, you would not bring out goodness and gentleness and self-control. Would you thank the Holy Spirit for his powerful divine work to change your very life. God, we believe in you as the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. For you are our God who is three and one. And we don't get it fully of how it all links together, but we trust it because it's what the Bible teaches we worship you. There is no one like you. We love you. All of you. We love you, God. Our one true God. Amen. Why don't you stand up? We're going to sing this together. Perfect song coming out of our teaching today on the Trinity.